So today I am pleased as punch to uh, introduce and have a nice conversation with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. She is a Harvard-trained neuroscientist. She is a well-published neuroscientist. She also has, uh, or is the star of the first TED Talk to ever go viral called A Stroke of Insight. If anyone hasn't watched that yet, just go watch it. It's incredible. I've watched it several times. I've referred it to people many times. Not only is it just an amazing story about a medical uh, 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 phenomenon that occurred to this 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 wonderful human being, but um, it led to an incredible amount of insight. And uh, it also is paradoxically something that happened to a neuroscientist. So very interesting, amazing TED Talk. Check it out. Uh, she's also an author. She is an author of two books. One is new called uh, Whole Brain Living, which I have also read. Uh, and we're going to discuss that in length uh, during this conversation. And so I just want to welcome uh, Jill. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so happy you came. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So when I uh, read the, I guess, the first chapter, first couple of chapters of this new book, one thing that stuck out to me, and I hadn't heard this before, and I thought it was so fascinating, is that when you were uh, prepared, and Ted, when you did your TED Talk, it, TED was new. It was reasonably new. It, it hadn't had any viral videos yet and things like that. And it was kind of just establishing the platform. And you de described in this book how you were actually rehearsing in the in the auditorium and everyone had taken turns rehearsing getting the sound checks and people were so moved by what you were saying um in the audience the, the that weren't you know actually the actual audience yet they were just others and the and the technical people do you want to talk about that a little bit i thought that was super interesting yes um but you're correct that you know at that time um it was in 2008 and ted had been purchased uh by uh, Chris Anderson several years before that. And this was going to be the first year where they told us, okay, we're going to videotape these. 50% uh, of the, of what we get, we'll probably post on the internet. 50% won't. So don't worry if you make a mess of it, we just won't post it. And I thought, well, so I wasn't going for the post. I was going for really um, 1,200 people who were in a room and 300 other people who were uh, streaming in from Aspen. So when I gave my TED Talk, I wasn't giving my TED Talk to the world, first of all. I was giving it to these 1,500 very influential people. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was my focus. So I went in and, and it's, it, of course, is nerve-wracking because... Uh, I was a keynoter, a uh, natural presenter. I love a good audience. And I was used to an hour or an hour and a half to share my story. And they limit me to 18 minutes. And it was like, okay, which means I have to script because mm -hmm. otherwise I'm going to go who knows where and I'm going to have to script this thing. So uh, and I don't script and I'm not an actor and I don't, you know, I, I don't script. <laughs> I'm no good on script. Yeah. So I wrote the, the talk and I gave it to a lot of my, my friends and I gave it at school to some of my students uh, and some of my colleagues let me give it to their students. And, and so I, it got tweaked along the way into what it ended up being. So I get to, um, I get to where Ted is, uh, Monterey, uh, California, and, um, you know, we have to test. And so I'm up there and I'm uh, learning about the space. Uh, I've got the sound director. I've got Chris Anderson. I've got his all of his people. Um, and it's like, OK, go ahead, Jill, you know, start your talk. And it was like, OK, so I started the talk. 
And my talk is divided into three sections. And the first section is an introduction to me, to the science, to my history, uh, and, and, you know, just who I am. And I thought, fine, I'll give that part away. So I did that. And they're, then they're going, okay, well, we'd like, a, you know, give us a little more because they're still tweaking all the, the sound and the lights. And I said, okay, well, at that point, I pull out a brain and we're talking about the brain and we're talking about the, the brain part. And I take you on this journey of my stroke through the mm -hmm. eyes of a brain scientist. And I didn't realize it, but Chris Anderson's mother had had a severe stroke. And so stroke was near and dear to his heart. And so I noticed that as I'm sharing the morning of the stroke, the whole room is starting all the tinkle tinkles movement movement stop was stopping. And people were actually listening to me. <laughs> give this presentation and I, mm. it's a little you know it's like okay well whatever and then i get to the third part and i didn't want to give it away and chris said mm. jill i need you to finish your talk because i need to know what you're going to do to my audience mm. and i thought and I said to him, but I don't want to give it away yet. And he said, no, I need to know where I need to know what you're going to leave me with. Mm -hmm. And I said, OK, so I gave the third portion of the talk. And at that point, I'm extremely emotional. The room is literally audibly sobbing. Uh, it's a very dramatic journey into your own brain because it might be mine, but everybody's on the ride with me. And um, I, you know, I become a great whale gliding through a sea mm. of silent euphoria, and the room is like <laughs> a great whale gliding mm. through a sea. And I mean, it was so beautiful, and it was so powerful. And um, so after I finished, it was just so profoundly clear that this was going to be what they call a TED moment. And mm. there have only been a few, less than a handful of TED moments. And it was clear to Chris that I was going to blow his audience out of the auditorium. And so they rapidly rearranged the entire schedule. They put me as the last speaker of the first segment. I was going to be uh, in the first segment, but they put me at the end because they knew no one. First of all, the audience would not be able to receive something. And Chris wanted to be able to amplify the impact of our common humanity mm -hmm. in the conference. And it completely uh, overpowered and, and became an umbrella under which for the next few days, we at TED for three days were a human family. And it was mm. so beautiful. So that's the story of the practice. That is so beautiful. I, I thank you for sharing that. And I felt it again, <laughs> like every time I felt when I watched your, your video, your thank TED talk you. as well and read the book. Um, it's beautiful. So, so a lot of people watching this are already going to have seen your TED talk and know the story. But just briefly, you had a, a cerebral a, a, a CDA and it was a, um, hemorrhagic stroke. Do you want to talk just, just so we're kind of all on the same page about what that was and which part of your brain was involved in the, the effects of it? 
Yeah. So, um, so I guess the most important piece was that I was a neuroanatomist at Harvard. So neuroanatomy is the anatomy of the brain, and I am a cellular neuroanatomist. So I think in terms of circuits. And I was teaching and performing research, but I was teaching neuroanatomy, the circuitry of the brain. So the way I think naturally, because it's what I, I teach, is um, when I hear sound, sound comes in, um, it gets stimulated by those little ear follicles and the auditory nerve then takes it in. Uh, some of the signal will hit this group of cells. Some will cross over to the other side, hit that group of cells. Some may bypass and go up a little. Uh, and then, mm -hmm. you know, how does it actually get to the cortex? That's what I yeah. think. That's how I think. I, I visualize yeah. circuitry. So um, on the morning of the stroke, uh, I woke up and I was having this, this, you know, pain behind my left eye. And, um, and, and I, I, it was very unusual for me to have any kind of pain. Um, actually I say that in a Ted talk, but, um, but it was true. And, and it literally took, um, uh, you know, a big block of time for me to actually realize that the problems that I was witnessing, um, were because of a hemorrhage in my brain. Now I'm a neuroanatomist. I'm not an MD. I'm a PhD. Uh, I'm not a neurologist. I don't see a lot of people with stroke. I teach about stroke. So I know about stroke, but I'm not a practicing physician. I'm in a research lab somewhere. So um, it wasn't until my right arm went totally paralyzed that was a warning sign of stroke. Oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. Yeah. Um, and then everything began to focus around that. And over the course of four hours, the hemorrhage grew to about the size of a softball. And it was just compressing all that tissue in the left hemisphere, taking the left hemisphere offline. And, and, and by the afternoon, after the morning of the stroke, where I'm waffling back and forth between what's going on in my right brain of blissful euphoria in the present moment, and the ability to go back to the left hemisphere and attend to detail in order to orchestrate my rescue, uh, that was all gone by the afternoon. By the, by the time I got to the hospital, the left brain was offline completely. Mm. And all I had was the experience of the present moment. And then it was okay. Uh, it took then eight years for me to yeah. use, use what I understood and how my right brain organized information to rebuild the circuitry in the left hemisphere so that I could regain all of those skill sets. Yeah. And I love how in the book you said uh, that you, it was so enjoyable. So, so I, I don't know, these aren't the words you use, but natural and euphoric and um, obviously interconnected with everything that you actually had to make a conscious decision to rebuild enough of your left brain function to, to just enough to function in life, but you didn't want to leave this, this space. And I totally yeah. get that. And it's a really beautiful statement. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So, so in your book, you you're yeah. good at what you do. You're you, nobody's mentioned some of these things. You're, you're really picking up on the little nuances. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really moved by the book and, and there's so much detail. Couple, I mean, we don't have enough time to really unpack everything I would love to talk about with the book, but I'll, I'll point out a few things. One is, um, this is kind of my reflection of the book now, just for anyone watching and for you. Uh, I was 
going in, I was kind of curious, like, is it not worried about it, but is it going to be too much of a materialistic approach? And, you know, like people get a little weird about like materialistic view and and, and so forth, but it's not at all. It's, it's extremely balanced. It's very, very much in the human spectrum. It's extremely practical. Uh, The application of what you teach in this book is not only practical, it's, it's workable and it, and it's effective because this is exactly the kind of stuff I work with people on all the time. This deep emotion work, understanding your different um, competing agendas in the mind. And like this stuff is really gold and and the book uh, uh, lays it out so well in so many aspects. Um, And it touches on really difficult and important things like relationship and addiction. So um, it was a wonderful book. I would recommend it to anybody. And uh, uh, I loved the way you, I love the flow of it, how it, how it started with, this is the you know left and right brain. Then here's the emotion centers and here's more of the cognitive centers. And it just, it was very easy to understand. Anyone could get this. It, you don't have to be a scientist to understand. And then you take the, the reader right into a clear um, and uh, um, powerful moving journey of like, okay, and this is what the implications are in your life in real, right. you know, in, in, with real results. So I loved it. It was very, very, very well done. Um, and I also loved that you early on, you mentioned that it correlates to the hero's journey and um, mm-hmm. the union, you know, archetypal type stuff, which I absolutely love. And I totally agree with. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could introduce a little bit about what the, the left brain, right brain paradigm, and also the, the limbic system versus the, the higher cognitive structures and, and the four characters and so forth. Certainly. So um, first of all, thank you for all of that. Um, you know, the beauty of the brain is that we all have one. And isn't it lovely when it works? And then we have to ask ourselves, well, which part is working? And why is my brain different from yours? Um, but at a neuroanatomical cellular level, we are constructed the same. And essentially, there is the reptilian brain, the reptilian brain, which is our brain stem. And that's pretty much made of on off switches. Mm-hmm. And then the difference between a reptile and a mammal is the addition of new tissue on top called the limbic system. And that's the emotional tissue. And it's bilateral, one on the right and one on the left. And we share that with other mammals. And the difference between other mammals and the human brain is the addition of new tissue on top of that, which is our cognition, our thinking cerebral cortex. So so whole brain living is about what is going on in those two different limbic tissues, one on the right, one on the left. And then what are the differences between what's being processed in the two thinking hemispheres? Um, You know, there's a certain amount of pushback that happens in our society that says, oh, the right brain, left brain, that's just all crap. It's been debunked. And that's not true at all. There are, uh, you know, we have 70 years, 75 years of basic science looking Mm -hmm. at specific things, specific differences in the way different circuits process information in these two hemispheres. So if you have, if you're one of these believers that say, oh, it's just all crap, don't believe any of it. It's like, well, then I invite you to, to share exactly what you think is has been debunked because I think we're all going to agree that the motor on one side controls the opposite uh, body side for motor sensation 
the same thing for information processing. We all process sensory information in the same ways, but uniquely different between the two hemispheres. The language centers are uniquely different between the two hemispheres. So I think as we go through really group of cell by group of cells, we'll be in agreement that yes, there are these very subtle differences. The mm -hmm. thing that was debunked was that we're all one or we're all the other. That is right. not true, of course. Yeah. But the idea that the two hemispheres are actually processing information differently is very true. And because of the way the cells have relationships with one another, the right hemisphere automatically experiences the big picture, while the mm -hmm. left hemisphere automatically, through the way the cells organize that information, go for details, details, and more details. So we do mm -hmm. end up with two very different processing, ways of processing information, which gives us the whole human perspective. So I want to throw that out because of yeah. that, that argument. Absolutely. Um, so as we think, though, about what happened to me when I lost the left hemisphere was I lost the identity. I lost language, as in dog. Dog is a sound. We place meaning on that sound. We can comprehend the meaning of that sound. We can communicate with one another. I lost that language. I also lost a group of cells in the left hemisphere that defines the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So I know that my face, my nose is my nose, but that these glasses, they're not me. They're not of mm -hmm. me because this holographic image in my left hemisphere defines where I begin and I end. Uh, my limbic system, my emotional system in that left hemisphere, those cells actually leap out of the experience of the present moment. How on earth do they even do this? They leap <laughs> out of the present moment and they, they go back in time and they mm -hmm. look at the past and they can say, is there any reason why I should push away from the experience that I'm experiencing in the present moment? Is it danger based on my history or my mm -hmm. fear of the unknown in the future? So the left hemisphere has all of these properties that are wrapped around me, my ego, my identity. So mm -hmm. when I lost my left hemisphere, I lost all of those skill sets of the left hemisphere, but part of them fundamentally was my identity as Jill Bolte Taylor. That girl, she died that day and, mm -hmm. and she, she died that day and, and yeah. my, me and my family needed to be okay with that. Well, what yeah. does she mean she died that day? Well, I don't have the same likes or dislikes that she used to have. I don't have mm -hmm. the same education that that girl used to have. I don't have the same relationships with other people that that girl had. That girl died that day, but mm -hmm. I'm now in the right hemisphere in the present moment, having a present moment experience, which is exploding with all the beautiful, magnificent sensations of the present moment, I have motor system that allows me to move myself out into the world and I can, I can experience the magnificence of being alive in the present moment without any of my fears from the past or my traumas from the past or any of my fears of the future. So the right hemisphere, although I lose me, the individual, I gain this perception of the magnificence of the present moment experience. And that's where joy is. That's where, <laughs> where excitement and curiosity and, and just connection, true connection with other people. So these two hemispheres are doing things very differently. 
we end up with an emotional system that it contains all of my memories from the past, all my trauma from the past, all my pride from the past, all my emotional memories of the past. And then the right hemisphere, I have the experience of the present moment. What does the present moment feel like? And, mm -hmm. and in that moment, how am I? So we end up with these two very uniquely different characters. And I do want to say out loud, each of these emotional halves of the whole have an amygdala. So we have two amygdala, we have two hippocampi, and then we have two cingulate gyri. Those are the primary yep. cells inside of the uh, the brain anatomy that makes up that limbic system. And then each of those thinking tissue that gets added on top, well, if in my left brain, I have a past, I have a future, I have an ego, then the thinking tissue uh, modulates and regulates what's going on below in that emotional tissue. And it relates me, the individual into the external world. And the mm -hmm. goal in the external world is to create enough order in the external world that I can make sense of my world. I can control it. I can control people, places, and things. I can think in language. I can communicate with language. Um, I know where I begin and where I end. I perceive me, the individual, as separate from you because I become the individual. So the left thinking tissue is about the relationship of me, the individual, to the external world. I call that character one. The mm -hmm. emotion of me, the individual, as it relates to my past and my future, that, again, me, my pain from the past, that's my character two. Character three is going to be the emotional tissue of the present moment, which is completely experiential. I'm here mm -hmm. with curiosity. I'm innovative. I'm, uh, I'm not fitting in the box of the right, wrong, good, bad of that left hemisphere. I'm just as big as the universe over here. And then the thinking tissue is the portion of our brain that allows us to have this experience that we are connected to all life, all atoms and molecules in the universe. So we feel, we perceive this, this, oh my gosh, awe and wonder that I exist at all. So we end up with these four very different groups of cells, modules of cells that result in very specific skill sets that ultimately look like four very unique personalities that we all have. And because mm -hmm. we all have it, then none of them is bad. They're all fantastic. But getting to know your own four characters can be a true uh, key to your own personal freedom because then you gain the ability moment by moment to pick and choose which one you want to be in any moment. And that yep. is your personal power. I love it. That's and that is like such a great uh, uh, summary. And I feel it. You talk when you talk. I feel the transmission like the, the people can talk about connection and oneness. But I know somebody who's experiencing it <laughs> and, and you're right on the money with it. And it's beautiful and it's everyone's birthright. But uh, I'll just throw that out there. I um, love that. I love that. It's everyone's birthright. Yeah, it's everyone's it first birthright to be connected to all that is because we yeah. are. I yeah. love that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to highlight one aspect of the the correlations that that stuck out to me in your book, um, uh, and that is the and it's it's really a, uh, it's really a statement of compassion, love, um, and understanding. But it's I think it was the the area. Two, and I'm sorry, character two when it's 
feeling, you know, uh, whatever shame and doubt and, and, and fear and resentment, all the things. And then there's the, the character four who sees that with nothing but compassion and love. And, and I, I love this statement you made in the book more than once. And it was, what a wonderful thing that we can even feel that. What a, yeah. what a gift that we can even feel the depths of despair, sadness, oh. grief, and that we can explore it directly. We have the access to explore that. And that's why these, like, for instance, you could make, you know, character two, the bad guy, but also you could say, that's the shadow. That's the, that's where the real work is when you really can go down in there and accept and learn to accept. That's the, to me, that's a huge part of the human um, challenge and the, the hero's journey. And if you can do that with yourself, you can do it with everyone. And it's a beautiful thing. So I just wanted to highlight that. I don't know if you want to. Whatever, yeah. But. You know, it is it is in our pain. What pain is, whether it's in the body or it's emotional pain, it's energy and it's energy that's that's trying to communicate. Look at me. Pay attention. I have something. I have a need. Right. I have mm. a need. Who knows what yeah. the need is, but I have a need. So if your leg is bloody. Right. You have pain, tissue damage. You give it attention. You help it heal. The same thing is true emotionally. And when we feel deep, deep pain, this this is the this is how our brain communicates with us. Hey, we need to look at this. We need to reflect upon this. We need to move through this so that we can heal it. Can we heal our emotional pain? Absolutely. But you mm. can't do it if you don't look at it and work with it, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. I am not, um, uh, you know, so psychoanalysis that's going to go in there and look at it for 30 years and just routinize about it. That's not the goal. The goal yeah. in my language and in my thinking is that I have this little character to pay and this is real pain, you know, um, uh, whatever it is, this is, this is my pain and, and I'm angry about it or I'm grieving about it or I'm sad about it or I'm mad about it, whatever it is. I, 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 yeah. And I can stay that way and I can get distracted away from it, but it's still there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in, in it, it, what, what we can do is we can actually come in with our own loving self. You know, the beauty of knowing your four characters is that you get to know your, your own enormous loving self that is filled with just an immense sense of gratitude that it exists mm -hmm. at all. And, oh my gosh, we're compassionate. We're, we're capable of being miserable. Let me hold me in my own misery, right? Misery mm -hmm. loves miserable company. And I can project that outwardly in all kinds of hostilities and hurtful ways or needy ways, or I can mm -hmm. say to my own brain, oh my gosh, where is that part of me that is connected to all that is? Let me hold myself, my character one, which is all about the external world and 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 um, uh, fixing things. Character one is this fixer. Uh, mm. Character one can come in and say, "Okay, we're safe in the moment. Everything's fine right now. So so we're okay, right? We're okay." Little character two, we're okay, and character four can come in and say, "Oh my gosh, isn't it magnificent that we're capable of being so miserable and so unhappy?" <laughs> Um, oh, you know, this is the beauty of being alive. I'm not six feet under. I'm alive. I'm capable of this misery. And, and I always tell people, I don't mind if you're miserable as long mm -hmm. as you remember to enjoy it. It is yeah. delicious. Our sadness, our mad, all of it, it's delicious. But we don't want to just let it, you know, give it the microphone and let it run around forever. Pull yourself 
out of of just that pain by using these other three really healthy parts of who we are. Yeah. Oh, it's beautifully stated. Beautifully stated. It's, you know, sometimes I say things like, you know, the way out of suffering is into suffering or the way out is in or, you know, you, you stop suffering when you stop trying to stop suffering. Like you have to really embrace at the deepest level, all aspects of yourself and of truth, which is, is that the self is not limited by this body, body wall. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and when, yeah. and, but, but it is addictive and that is mm-hmm. our addictive tissue. That little character yeah. two tissue is yeah. our addiction tissue right inside yeah. of, of there in that insular cortex is our craving for any addiction. And part of it is yeah. I'm craving my own misery. Damn it. I'm finally miserable. I matter in hell. And I'm going to stay matter in hell. And every time I think about you, you know, 30 years later, I'm still going to be matter in hell at you because it is so overwhelmingly delicious. And it's like, mm-hmm. at some point, you know, we got to go get dinner. <laughs> right. right, right? <laughs> yeah, Of course. Right? Yeah. We just kind of, you know, we got to go do something else. So, um, yeah. uh, but again, it's, it's using, it's really realizing, okay, well now I'm hungry. And it's like little character three, the little playful experiential one will be going, you know, our gut is screaming. We are hungry and you, you need to like leave that aside so that we can go out and get some food. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I was, I wanted to ask you about, so just for, for, you know, fleshing this out, the character three, uh, qualities. That's the, that's the limbic system, the emotional brain on the right side, typically. And, um, what is it's, it's the, it's really a fun one. It's the play, it's the playful one. It's the child. It's the, the experiencer, the, um, the innocent one that wants to feel and do and be and play and be alive. So can you maybe talk a little bit about that and how that balances with two, with the other, with with it's sort of corresponding on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. As, so as we think about that limbic tissue, the difference between the, the mammal limbic now, we're running all information through the filter of an emotional experience. So the right hemisphere is bringing all that experience in and it's staying with the experience. What does it feel like when I dive into the water and I feel the pressure of the water against my body? What does it feel like with the temperature on my body? What does it feel like to have my clothes on, on my, against my body? What does it feel like, you know, the experience? What is the experience? How much humidity is there in the air? Let's, let's go do something. Boom. Let's, uh, excitement. There's, and there's no right, wrong, good, bad defined by that left hemisphere in the right hemisphere experience. So, so right here, right now, what sounds like fun? Let's go play, right? Let's go stomp in uh, the woods and let's go make a mess and chaos. And, and it's like, yeah, it's exciting. Um, so, but that's the present moment of character three. So character three is very playful and creative and open and sharing. Now, character three can also get us into big trouble because mm-hmm. it doesn't have the right, wrong, good, bad. And if it sounds like fun to go bungee jump and bungee jumping's you know, legal. Yeah, let's go do that. But if it says, uh, let's go sneak into the neighbor's pool in the middle of the night, and that's not legal, then you're going to end up in jail, right? So a whole lot of our character three instincts actually drive us. uh, uh, There's a whole bunch of character threes in jail. So so that I just want to give you a heads up. (laughs) Be careful about what you let your character three do, especially if you got alcohol or drugs in you, because then we're really not even hooking into that character one at all. Character two 
is not a it's it also so both character two and character three limbic emotional young this is the tissue that mm-hmm. is online and developed by the time we're born so mm-hmm. and that's in order to be able to you know cover our needs when we're absolutely 100 percent um uh, uh dependent on other people so these two groups of cells will never grow up they will never mature the thinking tissue comes online across time, and that becomes our maturity, especially that character one that is going to control and organize and right, wrong, good, bad, put everything in the box. No, you can't make those greens, those leaves, you can't paint them purple. They're, they have to be green, right? Right, right, wrong, right. Good, bad. So <laughs> we end up with these four, these two children essentially inside of ourselves, and then a, a wise aware, open, filled with gratitude and awe and wonder perception of ourselves that is total peace Mm. in character four. And then in character one, all the judgment, all the definition of I want to be the boss. I'm going to be the boss, boss my own life. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get stuff done and I want to control everything. So we just end up with these relationships between these different parts of ourselves and really learning to master them is is how we find personal freedom because at any moment in time I can become my character three. My whole body changes. I get excited. I start bouncing around. My voice goes faster. My eyes open. You know, yeah. my character two. She's she's well, you know whatever she is uh, <laughs> when she's being whatever she's being. Uh, and character one goes to work, right? She's going to mm-hmm. put earrings in. She's going to get me on time. She's going to do all her things. And then character four is like the blue sky that's always there mm-hmm. in the background saying, whenever you guys chill out, I'm here. So when yeah. we pray, we pray to find that peaceful nature of character four. When we mm-hmm. meditate, when we do yoga, when we repeat tr- um, uh, mantra, we are settling and quieting those characters of the left brain to open up that peaceful nature that we all have right there in our own right brain. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that over time with this type of work and this introspection and understanding it, they they essentially integrate and things start to skew more toward the, the the character four over time. and, And that kind of settles in that way. Is that what your experience would be? You know, the beauty of the brain and circuitry is the more you run a circuit, the more that circuit gains power in order Mm -hmm. to begin to run on automatic. Mm -hmm. So being able to quiet your own character one, you know, everybody says, okay, well, let's go meditate. Okay. So we're sitting there, you know, and character one is talking and it's like, well, just, just ignore what that part of your brain is saying. And it's like, but it's very loud and it's bored to death. And it's my, yeah. And then I start focusing on my body and it's like, oh, my lower back hurts. And oh, you know, I'm not happy about this. And you know, every time I meditate, it makes me unhappy. That's little character too. And then they start getting really loud. And it's like, okay, well, it's not that we're going to silence them. It's just, we're going to set them aside for a few moments. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but it helps to know where am I going? And I think that that's the beauty of whole brain living is I'm not just trying to say no, say no, say no, because the brain, all it hears is, you know, whatever it is you're saying no to. It's about what is my alternative? And my alternative to my character one and my character two is my very playful character 
chapter three. And it's mm. like, okay, well, let's make this fun. And it's like, okay, all right, well, what can we do? And character four, there are all kinds of ways, the tools that you can use in order to allow yourself to shift into that character four part. But it's not the kind of thing that we do in our normal day. So it's not like it's routinized as powerfully as the characters one and two. So I think it's it just becomes practice. And when yeah. we... When, when we practice certain things and we, we get a glimpse of that feeling inside of ourselves, what does it feel like when I'm in my character four? Oh my gosh, what does it, what does she mean when she says she feels as big as the universe? Well, what mm -hmm. that means is that I can look right now, I can look out a window and I can see there's a little bit of breeze and there's a little bit of movement in some of those leaves, just barely movement. So I don't focus on the leaves if I expand my vision to the energy around that leaf, and you can hear my language is already starting to get lost, but I, I focus on the energy being the energy that is wiggling that leaf as, and the leaf is kind of like waving at me and it's, and, but I become mm -hmm. that. And as yes. I allow myself to become that, everything else quiets away. Mm. That's exactly my experience. Yeah. 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 You can practice it. And I love how you led through that. And it, it, it language does drop away in that it's just becomes it, it, it language isn't really designed to talk about that aspect of interconnection. Right. But as you said, it's it's there's the leaf and there's form, but then there's something deeper. It's closer and farther. It's it's both it's both particular and not particular and all. And it's in inside me and it's outside there. And all of a sudden, there's no need to even construct any structure of the mind anymore out of reality. It's just reality being reality. <laughs> it's exactly. and, and I become, I am all of it. Yeah. And yeah. you are all of it. And, yeah. and just knowing that we have that capacity to connect no matter where we are on the planet, that is humanity. Mm -hmm. That is the energy and the spirit <laughs> of humanity. And mm -hmm. so we can always connect into that because it's it is what is everything else yeah. is a distraction away from that yeah you know it's interesting on a personal level what i pick up from you is that um there, there's a, there's definitely a maturity i see in in um I, I don't know i would call it realization but um when the clarity of this and this integration comes online um there's a fluidity it's amazing how there, there's such <clears throat> access to the particular and to the infinite to the the timeless and to thought and the time bound, you know, language we use and so forth. But the ability to, to sort of fluidly move as needed in and out, even if it's not needed, it's just what's happening. Um, it, it stands out to me. It has a it has a signature. It has a, um, a signature of a very natural, synchronistic, enjoyable. Um, it's, it's almost like a nature force of nature. Yeah. And so anyway, you speak that way. And I really Res I just resonate with it. <laughs> you move right. that way. Well, and, yeah. and I love that force of nature. It is the force of nature mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. the energetic of, mm -hmm. of everything that is. Mm -hmm. And we have this tiny little group of cells that says, I'm separate from that. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not separate from that. I don't begin and end here. We all know that. You walk yeah. into a room where two people are fighting, and as soon as you you walk in, they shut up, but you know they were fighting, right? Yeah. How do you know that? Yeah. Because energetically, we <laughs> are biologically programmed through that beautiful right hemisphere to pick up that data 
as mm-hmm. it relates to uh, how how the language centers of that right hemisphere, which expe- again is experiential of the present moment. So so I think it's I think it's it's a matter of getting to know what am I as a biological creature? What are the skill sets of these cell of these cells inside of my brain? And then what choice do I have in picking and choosing? Well, yeah, you know, in this moment, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to do my right, wrong, good, bad. You know, don't say these things. Say mm-hmm. those things. Do, you know, don't start talking about fishing yesterday. <laughs> right? That's not the conversation. Yeah. Let's be appropriate. But character three, it wants to talk about the fish it caught, right? Um, so we're always constantly navigating these four different parts of our brain. And what whole brain living does is it helps you differentiate between these different groups of cells so that you can say, oh, yeah, I know my character one. I call her Helen. Hell on wheels. She gets it done. She's my businesswoman. She's punctual. She's she's in control of everything. Uh, Character three is my little playful spirit. And and then you get to map out. Well, who likes my character one? Who wants to work with my character one? Who calls my character one? Who calls my character three when they want to? play with my character three who I call Pigpen because Pigpen's a mess. Pigpen, yeah. And right. and who calls me or who does my little two reach reach to the phone when I'm in my pain? If something happens, if my little dog just died, who am I gonna call? Who's who's mm. my go-to? Well I can go to my own character for and I did that and I will do that and that's soothing. But then I have to share with my friends uh, that, you know, my little dog died because they had a relationship with her too. And so, mm. so then it's a matter of, 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 of a heart to a heart communication and who's going to hold my little character too. So we can actually build these neural networks of people who yeah. interact with the four different parts of our own brain. And now that is a very real look at who you are in the world and who the people are that 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 interact with you the most. Yeah, and, and I agree. And I think it's interesting. This brings to mind that there's a sort of common connotation, maybe or belief, if, if we don't look closely, that like I have one self or one one identity. But when you start looking inside, there are various aspects of identity that are so distinct that you could say they are they're internal what some people call internal family systems or and 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 all that. And no honoring that, knowing that, being aware of that yes, I do have competing agendas at times in various situations, different aspects of my personality are going to be prominent. And that's not only okay, it's something that we can like learn from. It's something we can, we can grow from and grow into and uh, totally integrate, which is beautiful and quite true, I think. Absolutely. You know, and that's, uh, I think, you know, a conflict, what is an internal conflict? You know, Mm -hmm. I, I've got this test tomorrow. I need to prepare for it. Uh, but the boys are out playing basketball. Mm, I'm going to go. Uh, so, you know, how do I, how do I negotiate that? And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay. So I go out and I hang out with the guys who are playing basketball. And then after that, well, then let's go, go eat. Well, that's a different conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe my character one said, OK, let's go hang out with the guys that are playing basketball and we'll do that for maybe an hour. But then we're going to come in and we're going to go and we're going to study. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a nego- that's an internal negotiation between these different parts of who we are. And once you know who those characters are, then it's like, OK, character one, you said I could go do it. I'm going to go play for an hour and then I'm going to come back feeling rejuvenated and I'm going to give you three hours of study. Deal. Go. Yeah. But you have to adhere to the agreement that you've made with yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good way to say it. Um, the one part of the book that I was very impressed that you touched on, uh, or went into, uh, because it's just such a challenging area. It's just such a, and we need, we, we need more and more research and development in this area is addiction, of course. Um, and you spoke, uh, in direct terms about, um, experiences you've had around people with addiction and you talked in terms of the four characters and maybe we could just touch on that a little bit and make it, you know, maybe some accessible pointers to people, uh, who everyone has either been addicted to something or has been around someone who's been addicted or had a family member. I mean, we can all relate to this. So right. yeah, I'd like to unpack that a little bit and maybe just, maybe discuss it from the standpoint of the characters and how it plays out through these different yeah. characters. So, um, addiction, the, um, uh, the tissue in our brain, that is that gets addicted and and at the core of an addiction is a craving a desire to have it to have more of it don't take it away from me i want it i need it i i'm gonna fight for it um and that's gonna be inside of the tissue of character two so not only is character two in our pain and our trauma from our past but it is in our desire for something that may not be healthy for us. Mm. So so just knowing that about little character two and knowing it is my character two that is truly invested in the action and the activity and having, I want, I want, I want, it's mine, I need it. Uh, I'm going to have it. I'm going to lie about it for it. I'm going to scheme for it. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to whatever it is. We all know what addiction feels like inside of us. <clears throat> so that's actually inside of that little character two tissue. Just knowing that. So uh, my addiction was uh, cigarettes. <laughs> I, I just had COVID. So I don't think that cough had anything to do with those <laughs> cigarettes, but I was addicted to menthol. And yeah. um, boy, could I make up a million excuses for why I wanted that menthol. It opened my cavities. It opened my sinuses. Yeah. I could breathe more clearly. I could think more clearly. I could think mm. faster. I was working on yeah. my dissertation. You know, whatever my my reasons are then that in my character one comes in and says, actually, you know, I do perform better when I, I smoke cigarettes. And it's like, mm, okay, well, that doesn't really help me quit, right? <laughs> right. Uh, because here I am, I'm, a, I'm an anatomist. I'm a gross mm. anatomist. I'm a biologist. I'm an organic person. I can't be smoking cigarettes. It's terrible for my body. So we're talking major conflict between the overall principle of my love and awe for this this organic entity, but then there's that cigarette, that cigarette, that cigarette. And it's like, oh, wow, talk about an addiction. Power, power, power. And now what I really realized is that this was an enormous fight between my little character, too, that was coming up with all kinds of reasons and uh, uh, factual information about why I needed it versus then my character one, which cared about my status in the world. Well, how's it going to look if a neuroanatomist who values the temple of her soul, the body, is smoking cigarettes? Um, (laughs) So she cared about the external image. Uh, my little character three, it didn't really care much at all other than, you know, if it was out drinking, you, you know, you know, it's college yeah. years. Yeah, I wanted to have a cigarette. Uh, and so they package it together. And then character four is going, uh, you know, we're all going to die sometime, you know, so whatever, right? Whatever is, is that character four. Yeah. It just yeah. loves me no matter whether I'm addicted or not. 
So those are the conversations going on inside of my head and most people's heads, very similar uh, to whatever their addiction is. And then it's a matter of, well, who am I actually going to give give power to and how am I going to set up my own strategies so that my character one doesn't go to the store and buy cigarettes? Okay, that's pretty simple, right? You can't smoke what you don't have. And character three doesn't set me up so that if I'm going to go drinking with my buddies, then, well, maybe I don't hang out in a bar for a while where there's smoking going on so that I'm tempted. Um, Go do something healthy, right? Go paddleboard. Go do Mm. other physical things. Give myself something else to do uh, as that character three. And then character four really just loves all of us and and is, you know, just just loves all of us. Yeah. Uh, so that's the fight, I think, that happens inside of all of us. Yeah, I love how you said that about character four. And I actually find that to be an important aspect of when people are starting to break addiction or getting really to the root of it, is that there's something that's okay with you no matter what. Because at the root of addiction, there's often so much shame, right? There's right. just a lot of shame. And an addiction that's destructive in relationships and work and health, alcohol, drugs, there's a lot of shame. And and But to bring online that part of yourself that just says, you know what, though? I know, I know, I know this is destructive. I know this is hard. I know you doubt yourself and don't trust yourself and you can't control. Yeah. And I still love you. That, 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 that knowing that that part of us is already there right. is so powerful and so important, you know? Right. Um, so I'm glad right. you said and then, that. And then we can actually build that relationship. And, and, you know, I think that that for something like 12 steps where you have someone who is your call for support, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, my call for support ends up going to my own little character four. And mm-hmm. it's like, you have me, you always have me. And sometimes I might need to reach out for that external support, but just to know that that love, that love, I am okay. I am good. I am this beautiful life force, whether I have that addiction or not, a part of me is just so celebrative that I'm alive and that I'm connected with other people and I can connect. That is always there. We're never alone. We are mm. never alone. We only have the perception of ourselves as isolated and alone. So beautiful <laughs> and true. <laughs> and true. Yeah. 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 Well, we've covered a lot of territory. I think we're getting close to an hour. I don't want to take too much of your time, but that was unbelievably good. It was, I'm pleased, so pleased that that, that we did this and the conversation touched on all the stuff it touched on. People are going to get a ton out of this. Now, your book is available on Amazon primarily. Is that right? Yeah, it's everywhere. Okay. Whole Brain it's Living. Everywhere. Whole Brain Living. Okay. And you also have another book called A Stroke of Insight. My Stroke of Insight. My Stroke of Insight. Yeah. I have not read that book. Um, I, oh. I Now I want to because I've read the second one. Uh, I've had a good handful of people tell me that reading the first book caused changes in them, caused shifts in their oh. experience and so forth. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I would recommend that one as well. And of course, the TED Talk, yeah. if anyone hasn't seen it, and you're going to fall in love with this whole, yeah, this whole thing. So, yeah, let yeah. me. Let me say this, Angelo, the, my stroke of insight takes you on the journey moment by moment. So the Ted talk, I took a few liberties with that, but it was 18 minutes, right? Yeah. The book takes you moment by moment by moment. And if you know anybody who has any brain trauma or any stroke in particular, um, my stroke of insight is the go-to book because it will help the caregivers understand one, how to treat a person 
who has had a wound and what their experience might be a little bit like and why yeah. you why why you take responsibility for the energy you bring to yeah. anyone but especially when someone's wounded but book 2 whole brain living is is how I when I finally realized people don't realize we have two amygdala and two hippocampi they think we just have one emotional system that was when I figured out how do I communicate to other people how the brain is actually organized and differentiates into these four different characters so um it, it's really a progression yeah wonderful wonderful yeah, yeah i would rec highly recommend both i'm sure i'm sure we're going to get a lot of people um interested in and clicking on that thank <laughs> that you. amazon buy button so thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and um thanks for all your work uh, and just sharing. So yeah, it's a joy. Thank you, Angela, for what you do and bringing this, this kind of, of conversation to, to people who are curious. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. Care. Bye.